Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Welcome to Easter at Valley Rise. Hey, hope you're having a great day. Can we give the Lord a hand? What an amazing day where everything changed. Hey, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Christian, and this is my way out of my league wife, Alex. And we started Valley Rise Church together last January. We moved down here with a dream in our heart that God could do something in this community. And we knew it was God because we moved down here, and then a week later, Harvey hit. So we knew that uh, it, was, it was probably somewhere we were supposed to be. And um, God has been doing amazing things, and we just are so thankful that you're here spending Easter with us. We wanted to come up and just introduce ourselves to you for those of you who haven't had the chance to meet. So, hey, we're going to pray. We're going to jump into it. I hope you guys are excited. I feel like God's got a great word for us this morning. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that over 2,500 years ago, everything changed on today. Everything was different. God, you looked down and you saw our plight and you saw what we needed and you sent us exactly what we needed. A Savior who could redeem us, who could set us free, who could take the old and turn it to new who could cancel our sin debt, who could pay our bill. God, we're so thankful. Today, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would speak to us, that you would do what only you can do in our hearts and minds. We come to you with an open heart and an open mind. Speak to us in whatever way you'd like. We love you and we thank you. And we today celebrate you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen and amen. Well, hey. For those of you that joined us at the Good Friday Crawfish Bowl, did y'all have fun? Was that awesome? Oh, my goodness. If you missed it, next year you want to be there. We ate over 700 pounds of crawfish. I'm from South Louisiana originally. I'm a Cajun. I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana, and I know what you're thinking, okay? And all my people know what we're going to say next because I say this every time we have a big event. Ain't no way you're from Lafayette, Louisiana wearing jeans that tight, okay? But... I am. It's true. Um, I, I just happen to be one of the only ones with style there. I made it out. I don't know. Um, no, but we, we, uh, we moved here from, from a church called Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama that we were on staff at for three years and then moved here to start Valley Rise Church along with a team of people. And it has been our joy to watch God work in this community and the people that we've met. It, it has been amazing. But we love days like this because days like this we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate what God's done in, in us. We get to celebrate what God is doing in you. We get to celebrate what he will do in you. And I believe that days like this can mark us. Days like this always leave me thinking when I drive away, what now? You ever have what now moments? You know what I mean, where, where something great happens. God does something in your life or, or something awesome happens in your relationship or something great in business, and you leave there going, what now? What do I do now, God? And I think oftentimes Easter can be one of those things. As I thought about Easter and prayed about what God wanted to speak to us, I thought I want to talk to us not now but when we leave here. Because God's going to do something in your life today, I believe. And when you drive away, you're going to have a moment like all of us do. I remember when God touched me. And I remember the first time that I really, God did something in my life. And I left there and I had a what now moment. Okay, God, you did something in my life. But what about like everything else? Because I've got all this stuff, God. I know y'all don't have any stuff, okay. But like I had stuff because I'm I'm just I'm a little different. I'm a little wild, okay. Y'all look like calm people. Y'all in your Easter finest. I'm in all black because I had stuff, okay. And I just had stuff in my life. And I left there going, God, what do I do with all of this stuff? And I think sometimes we can have days like this where God does something amazing inside of us, 
But because we get so intimidated by the what now, we end up walking away and not letting God complete what he wants to do in us. I had this amazing thought when I was in Israel this year. I'm sitting in the tomb. We go to visit the tomb, and I'm sitting in there, and I'm just thinking. There had to be a moment where Jesus was resurrected, and he's sitting there by himself in the dark. And because he's Jesus, he didn't probably think what now because he knew what was next, okay? He knows everything. But there had to be a moment where he's sitting there, and, and in my humanity, I thought, what now? What now? You've been raised to life, but, but what's next? When does the door get open? When does the stone get rolled away? When do I go and do, what now? And I believe that God wants to speak to us about the what now moments in our life today. Hey, we have any cross country runners in here? Any of you guys run cross country in high school? Y'all are smart. Everyone who didn't raise your hand, you're geniuses, okay? Um, I, when I was 17 years old, I got kicked out of my school in Louisiana because I was just too good. They were like, you're too smart for this school, so you should probably go to another school. Um, and, and, and so there was a basketball coach in Texas that my dad was friends with, and he called. He said, listen, I know your son is a superior athlete, okay? I know that he's just got these insane genetic abilities, unlike any we've ever seen, okay? And, and would, would, why don't you let him come play basketball for me? We'll win a state championship this year. So I moved to Schulenburg, Texas. You know where Schulenburg, Texas is? No one, I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere, but they do have the best brisket you will ever eat in your life. If you ever drive through Schulenburg, go to the smokehouse and get, just tell them I want $5 a brisket, you're welcome, okay? Best brisket in the world. So I moved there, and when I moved there, they go, hey, listen, you got two options. If you're going to play basketball, you can either play football or you can run cross country. Well, I had football season had already started, and so I said, I guess my only option is really to run cross country. Um, the problem is I had never run cross country before. The school I came from, those two guys that ran cross country, and both of them were really, really weird. I just figured if you ran that much, you were running from something. Like, I, I don't you got, like, deep internal wounds you're working through if you just run that much. And uh, so I said, I'll run cross country. So we, I come in, I kind of came in mid-year, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't training. I wasn't, like, running with the team. They just go, hey, we got our first meet this Saturday. You're running it. You know, it'll be great. I have no clue what I'm doing. I knew I was in trouble when they gave me the uniform. Let me say that. Have you ever seen a cross-country uniform? They are not made for 6'4 Mexicans. I will tell you that, okay? I walked out. My parents came to my first meet. They were excited. I was excited. Never played this sport before. Put on my uniform. I walked out, stood out there, and I was like, what do you think? They had a, it was a big Superman S that they had for Schulenburg. And, and like, it's like a little like, like spandex, like Under Armour thing. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, if they should never, you should, they're just horrible. Like the spandex Under Armour shirts, pretty much that's like the worst thing to put in if you're out of shape also. Like don't ever wear one of those. If you, like when you go in for plastic surgery, they should just make you wear one of those. And they're like, clearly you can see the areas we're going to go after. Because uh, So I come out and, and my dad is sitting on the couch and he looks at me and he goes, dear God, son, are, are you wearing shorts or riding a chicken? And I'm like, yes, I don't they are like, like bikini shorts, okay? Like those, like, and, and I walk out, I'm like, I don't know. They're going to arrest me when I run in this. Like I just, this, is, this can't be normal. Maybe I got the small ones, like we gave you the biggest ones we had. We don't know. I'm like, okay. So we get out there, and if you've ever been to a cross-country meet, everyone lines up on a, on a line. It's very disorganized. It's kind of like chaos. You just like line up on this line, and somebody's got a gun, and they're like, everybody ready to run? I'm like, who do you shoot first? Like, I don't know. Where, how does this work? I didn't know. And so we line up, and he goes, okay, you know, everybody on your marks, get set, go. And, and I'm just like, so I've never done this before. I'm just so fueled, okay? I just take off running. I'm in like a, I'm sprinting. I thought we were running 40 yards. I'm going to be honest. I didn't really know how far three miles was. I just thought it can't be that far. And so 
I, I just take off sprinting. I look to my left, I look to my right, there's nobody around. 100 yards, 200 yards, 300 yards, 500 yards. I'm like, I turn around, people are so far behind me, I'm like, I am the fastest person in Texas. I should have come here a long time ago, okay? This is amazing. I didn't know us Cajuns were so genetically superior to Texans, okay? Everything might be bigger in Texas, but it's slower. It's slower because it's bigger. I was blowing everyone away. I'm like, this is amazing. And then we got to like a mile. And I had a what now moment. Because I realized why everyone was running so slow at the beginning of the race. And I start, my legs start getting heavy. Because now I have sprinted as fast as I can for a mile, okay. And, and, and everything is hurting. And I can't breathe. And now I'm like, Texans are smarter than Cajuns. Texans are smarter than Cajuns. I am hurting, and I had this moment of what in the world am I? They're going to have to carry me for the last two miles of this race. And as I was writing this message, I had a funny thought of the same feeling that I had in that is the same feeling that we can have sometimes when we think about doing this thing called Christianity. That we have this moment where God does something amazing in our life. You're going to leave here, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to go, man, God did something awesome. I feel awesome. And you're going to get home, and you're going to sit down, and you're going to go, but what about everything else I've got to do? What about all the other stuff that comes with this? What about all of the junk in my past? What about all of the issues I have? What about all of the... And I believe that God has such a great answer for us. I want to talk to you today, Luke 24, the greatest story ever. Very early that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb carrying the spices they had prepared. Jesus has been crucified. He's in the tomb. They're going to visit the tomb. Arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. So they went in to look, but the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. They stood there stunned and perplexed. Suddenly, two men in dazzling white robes, shining like lightning, appeared above them. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in the white said to them, Why would you look for the living one in a tomb? He is not here, for he is risen. Have you forgotten what he said to you while he was still in Galilee? The Son of Man is destined to be handed over to sinful men, to be nailed to a cross, and on the third day he will rise again. All at once they remembered his words. Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven, his other disciples, and to all of the others of what they had seen and heard. This is an amazing story, the greatest story in all of history. I love this. I mean, can we, can we put the first picture of the tomb up there? Okay, this is, I took this for y'all. Just so y'all know, I was thinking of y'all when I was in Israel, okay? We took this. This is one of the two sites that they believe could be the tomb. So they'll tell you, you know, it's one of the two. We, we don't really know. This is one of the sites that they believe could be the tomb. So I'm standing here, and I'm thinking, this is, this is amazing, okay? And I want you to just notice, because this is, this is important. See this little, like, trench right here? Okay, this little trench thing. When they would bury people, put up the other picture of the tomb. This is not... Jesus' tomb. This is a tomb that was just on the roadside, but it was such a great ex example of what I wanted to talk about. Okay, this is, I took this out of a bus, that's why it looks like this. I'm not a professional photographer, don't judge me. Uh, this is a, a, a picture of a tomb on the roadside. And what they would do is they would make them like this, they would dig this trench, and then they would roll this stone downhill. Now the stone, obviously this is a smaller tomb, the stone in front of Jesus, they say could have been anywhere between two and 4,000 pounds. And it was dug into a trench like that so that it would roll downhill and they would put a stone behind it so people couldn't roll it back. Okay, how many of you know that's pretty, that'd be pretty difficult to get out of, 2,000, 4,000 pound stone. But I have an issue with the story as I read it this year. When I read the story, I, I just had this thought that kind of perplexed me. Why roll the stone away? 
Okay, why roll this stone away? Jesus is Jesus. We see, put up John, John 20, 19. The next, literally the very next verse, that evening the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. So they're up there, they're scared, they locked themselves in. Jesus, in their mind, is, is dead. They don't know, they haven't seen Jesus, they just know he's not in the tomb. They're scared. Because the, the, the government had thought that they were going to try and steal Jesus' body. So they had put guards there. They had put this huge stone there. They had put all the precautions in place. Now they're scared going, they're going to think we took him and they're going to come after us. Okay, so they're locked up in this room. They were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders. They had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, peace to you. Jesus out of nowhere appears in the middle of the room. And when I read that, I thought, why roll the stone away then? Why roll the stone away if Jesus could just walk out of the tomb? He could walk through walls. He could, walk, he could do whatever he wants. Why did you need to roll the stone away? It actually would have been far more convincing if he didn't roll the stone away. Because that means he would have been appearing places and people would have gone, somebody go check the tomb and make sure he's not in there. Okay? And then they would have rolled the stone away and be like, he's not here. That was him. That seems like a far more convincing story to me. So why does he need to roll the stones away? As I thought about this question, as I pondered it, I realized we all have stones in our life. We all have stones. You have stones in your life, okay? Relational stones, business stones, financial stones, health stones, stones in our lives, weights that you carry. Some of you, even when I say that, something comes to your mind that you go like, yes, she's sitting next to me. I mean, no, no, not that, not that okay. She, yes, I've got these stones in my life. I've got these issues that I deal with. I've got frustrations and struggles that weigh on me. And when I think of this, I think, what is the, what, Jesus, if, if you could move those stones away, if you could do that to the tomb, what do you want to do inside of us? Because the truth is, being born again does not fix all of your problems. How many of you know when I got saved, I still had issues? I'll never forget when I got saved, I walked out of youth group. The, the weekend after I'd gotten saved, I walked out of youth group, and one of my best friends, I'm not going to say his name because people probably know because there's some Lafayette people here, and, and he pulls up in a car and he goes, hey, let's go smoke some weed. And I'm like, first of all, I am a Christian. Second of all, let's go. Okay. Um, I still had some issues. I know none of y'all have those issues, okay. You guys, you guys got stones. You guys never got stoned because those are two different stones we're talking about. I had these issues that I still had to deal with. And I was frustrated with myself in these moments. God, I, knew you, I know you did something new in me. I know you raised something to life. I know I'm a new creature, but I've, I'm still me. I still have these stones in my life, Jesus. I thought when I got saved, everything would be different. And I had a moment reading this story where I thought, Jesus is raised from the dead, but he's still sitting in the tomb. He's still sitting there. And oftentimes this is what happens to us. God does something in our life and we're still sitting there and we're going, what now? God, you changed my heart. God, you gave me a new life. God, you paid my sin debt. Thank you so much. I'm going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. What, but what now? What do I do with everything else inside of my life? So many times we try to move these stones. It looks like this. I'm saved and so i got to fix everything in my life. Can you ever have those times? i gotta, I got to just change everything. I have a friend. And uh, we were in the Air Force together. And when he got saved, he was one of those, like, weird radical Christians. Like, like, 
He was just like, he got saved and everything shifted for him, okay? He threw out like all our, all our beer in the fridge. He threw out like all the rock music. He's like, we're only listening to Cademan's Call. I'm like, that was from 1990. They're not even a good Christian band anymore. Like, can we at least pick someone good? Like, Sandy Patty is all that's playing in our house. Sandy Patty, he was just like super Christian. He wanted to fix everything. Everyone, we walk in a gas station. Literally, I can't tell you how many times this happened. I'm not exaggerating. We walk in a gas station, and we'd pay, you know, he'd get his Snickers, and you pay, and she'd be like, do you need change? He'd be like, nope, but you need change. You need Jesus, ma'am. And I'm like, bro, that's weird. Don't do that. Okay, stop. I'm like, he's weird. He just, he doesn't know. Don't, I'm sorry, but you do need Jesus, but not like that. This is weird. Uh, he just wanted to change everything immediately. And he actually ended up pushing a lot of people away because he wanted to change stuff so bad, but he wanted to do it himself. Oftentimes, we get frustrated in our Christian walk because of what we need to change, what we think we need to change, or what we try to change. Do you know that Jesus never called you to change the stones in your life? I love this story because Jesus, who could have done anything, sits there until the angels roll the stone away. And I believe that if God sent angels to roll the stones away from the tomb, that God is also capable of rolling the stones away in our lives himself. He sits there, and they roll the stone away, and I had this moment of thinking, so often we get caught up in trying to change things in our life, trying to fix things in our life. I know you, women, y'all aren't fixers, but men, we're like, we're fixers. How many of your husbands, how many are married to a fixer, okay? I know, and let me just tell you, all of the, everyone else, only two, wow, okay, there's three of us guys, so we can get together and have a meeting after this and just figure out, like, all, all of us fixers do the same thing. My wife comes in and she's like, God, I just, I'm so frustrated. When I hear that, men, you know, we go into fix-it mode. Okay, yes, what are you frustrated with? Who do we need to kill? Let's take him out. Like my daughter last night, me and my son are playing a video game, and she's like, Dad, is he on your team? I'm like, he's not. She goes, bury him. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> First of all, you need Jesus. Second of all, okay. Um, so <laughs> literally, she said it like multiple times. It was kind of scary. I slept with one eye open. Um, we go into fix-it mode. What happened? What are you frustrated about? There's this girl at work. What's her address? Where does she live? Where can we find this girl at work? Okay. I, she just said something, and, you know, so-and-so, my mom called me, and, well, your mom's sweet. She would never do anything mean to you. She's also sitting on the front row. Um, what, what is it that's frustrating to you? Because I want to fix it. Guys, we're fixers. And let me just help you out, women. You're welcome. Guys, that, they don't want us to fix it. They just want us to listen. Okay, they just want us to go, I'm so sorry that happened. God, I hate that they were mean to you. I know, guys, it doesn't fix anything, okay, but it's just what they want. It doesn't make sense to me either. I'm just telling you. I'm giving you the answers to the book. Also, next week, let me just say this. Let me just put a, put a little insert in here. Next week, as we finish up Bigger Than I Thought, um, for the finale, finale of this series, me and Alex are going to be teaching it together, okay? And for those of you who know Alex, no, she's already thrown up three times this week thinking about it. She has never been on stage with me other than this. She does not, this is, she is not a preacher. But I said, I want us to get up there and I want us to share the bigger than I thought moments in our lives. So we're going to be doing that next week. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be awesome and she's beautiful. So even if it's not, you can just look at her, okay? Um, we are fixers. We want to fix things. And the problem is sometimes we get in Jesus' way of fixing things. Because what happens is if you look at that trench, in order for it to be rolled away, they have to roll it in these grooves. 
But sometimes we're on the inside pushing the stone. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix it, Jesus. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of it, Jesus. I'm going to take care of it. I love you so much, Jesus. I'm going to fix all of this. You don't worry about it. And what God is trying to roll away, we end up stopping because we're getting in the way of what Jesus wants to do. So I know what you're thinking. Christian, if Jesus wants to fix the issues in my life, then what do I do? What am I supposed to do then, Christian? Because surely I've got to do something. I love this. This is my favorite part. Are you guys ready? I'm so excited. John 14, 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay. How many of you were raised in the South? How many of you were raised um, in, in, in the Catholic Church? How many raised Catholic Church? Baptist, Southern Baptist, Assembly of God, something else weird? Anything? Okay. All right. I get it. Um, and, and if you were raised in the South, they actually did a study and, and they, they polled all of the country. And they found that people in the South had an opinion that God was mad at them. They polled everyone on what they felt about God. What do you think about God? How do you portray God? How is God drawn? And of all the regions, it was interesting. You know, people on, in the Northeast thought God was aloof. He just didn't care. He minded his own business. Okay, people in the South thought that God was mad at them. And I think all of us that grew up down here kind of grew up maybe feeling that way. I've got to do these things, and if I don't do these things, Jesus is going to be mad at me. If I don't do these things, he's probably going to strike me dead. If I don't do these things, he's going to... anytime anything bad happens, you know, you, you start thinking immediately back on your week. Oh, I cursed at that person in traffic. This is why. This is why this happened. Y'all ever have those moments? No, because y'all don't ever do any of that. I know y'all don't curse at no one in traffic, okay? But if you pull up behind a black Tahoe and they curse at you in traffic, just avert your eyes. It's not me, okay? <laughs> if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we read that, and here's how we read it. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. If you love me, you're going to do exactly what I say. Okay, I've read this verse before, and I've thought that. And I've thought, God, man, like, okay, God. And when we mess up, we go, I guess I just don't love you, Jesus. I guess I just, I got to work harder. I got to move more stones out of my life. I got to really work to get these things out of here. And I got to, and we end up trying to work ourselves into this thing called salvation and grace and freedom. And it's never what God intended it to be. If you've never read the Passion Translation of the Bible, I encourage you to read it. It is awesome. I've been reading the Bible a long time. It has given me a whole new excitement about reading the Bible. Because this is really, it takes it from the Greek and shows what the heart behind it really was. And this is what Jesus really wants to say. Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. Here's what Jesus says. If you love me, don't even worry about it. You will. If you just fall in love with me, You'll do it. Don't even worry about the command. Don't even worry. If you just love me, you're going to do it. Husbands, wives, how many of you remember when you were in love? How many of you remember? Everybody chuckles. They're like, <laughs> a long time ago, huh? <laughs> how many of you remember when you were in love? I'm talking like we were at some friend's house this week, and we started pulling out all our old love letters. You keep your old love letters and pray that your children don't find them? <laughs> no, not y'all. <laughs> I was in the Air Force for four years, and the first three years were long distance. And so we would write letters all the time, okay? Write letters, you know. I, there's pictures of me in training classes, and it's me, like, in the back making these, like, postcards and cutting out hearts. And people are like, is this what you did in the military? I'm like, kind of, okay, it's the Air Force. Um, and, and, and we would write these love letters. We got stacks of love letters. How many of you know it didn't take, it took zero energy for me to write those letters? Not only did it take zero energy, I was excited about writing those letters. I was stationed in Destin, Florida. I know it was horrible. Somebody had to do it, okay? When people ask me, where'd you serve? I'm like, I was in the sand land. They're like, Iraq. I'm like, Destin. But I mean, you know, close. 
it was, it was tough. Almost didn't make it out of spring break 07. Uh, <laughs> it, I was six hours from my, from my dorm room to, to my girlfriend's house. Okay, I would drive that. So my girlfriend was my current wife. I'm not like telling a story about another girl. Just y'all looked at me like, is she, does your wife know? Uh, I would drive that like every weekend. I'd get off on Friday afternoon, 4 o'clock, quitting time. Brrr, I'm in my car. I'm on, I'm on the road. I had a, a silver Oldsmobile Alero. It was like the silver bullet. I could get that thing doing 110 and make it in five and a half hours, okay? I would get there. I'd stay all weekend with her. I'd leave Sunday afternoon at about 6 or 7 p.m. I'd drive all night, get back at like 2 in the morning, have to be up at 6 o'clock to go to PT, work all day. And you know what took zero energy for me? You know why it took zero energy for me? Because I was in, I was in love. How many of you know when you understand this concept with Jesus, the stones in your life don't become something you need to move. They become something that you walk through with Jesus. People ask me all the time, how does Jesus feel about this? How does Jesus feel about this? What does Jesus think about this? What is you? And I have the same answer every time. Jesus is not concerned with the stones in your life. Jesus wants you. And if he gets you, he can talk to you about anything that he would like to. How many of you know, when my wife and me got married, we didn't sit down and list out all our problems and go, okay, now listen, before we get married, okay, she would have been like, here's your list, okay, this little one right there. And then she's like, here's my list. I got all this stuff to work on. And before we get married, we got to fix all this. And everyone that's married knows that that's not how it works. You get married thinking you're not going to have any issues. And then about two months into marriage, you realize you got a lot of issues. You have way more issues than you realized you had. I always, when I do weddings, tell people the reason God says you need a helpmate in, in, in Genesis is because, men, we need help, okay? And you don't realize you need help until you're married about three months, and then all of a sudden you're like, I guess I need a lot of help, a lot more than I ever realized I need. I was doing great on my own, and then I realized I needed a lot of help. And you begin to walk through issues together. You begin to process issues. You begin to go, and everyone who's married here could give you a list of issues that they have worked through. But what keeps you in them is your love for the other person. What keeps you on the journey is your love for each other. I think oftentimes, especially in the South, we have so many of us that encountered religion at a young age and never fell in love with who Jesus really was. Never encountered what Jesus really did for us. Never fell in love with the person of Jesus. And so our relationship with Jesus was very hard. We wouldn't even call it relationship. You'd call it religion. And it was hard and tedious and frustrating and you felt guilty and shameful and you felt like you were always moving a heavy stone away that you could never really get up the hill. Because every time you almost got it up the hill, it would roll back down on you and you'd be sitting there going, this is why I don't even try. This is why I just, it's easier for me not to try than to keep trying to push this heavy stone up this thing and fail. And Jesus' plan was never that. So many times we try and move our own stones when really God just calls us to rest in him. I love Psalms 23. This is, many of you know Psalms 23. You could quote it. This is the Passion Translation. And I want to, don't read it. I see y'all looking up there. Don't read it yet, okay? I'm going to read it to you. My voice is more soothing than the voice in your head. We, we, we think of our relationship or religion with Jesus in one way. But how many of you know God's ways are so much bigger and higher than ours? And he always intended your relationship with him to look like this. Put it up there. That was a little mean. Could you please put it up there? The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. 
He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Do you see what all of that is? All of it is about us resting in Jesus, and the result at the end is, then I bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. I love that, for you already have. You're, you remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. That kind of rhymed. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterwards, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. How many of you know that's what God's desire for your relationship with him should look like? There's a reason he calls us sheep and he is the shepherd. You know why? First of all, because sheep are stupid. Okay, that's probably first of all. You ever see sheep? They just go like where, they're, 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 they really are. They eat and they bite and they poo and they just kind of like do that everywhere. Like my, I have a buddy who has a church in Seattle and he sent me some pictures this weekend and he was like, um, hey, look, look at these goats, which is a weird, you'd have to get on the whole conversation, but it was weird. He goes, look at these goats, they're in downtown Seattle and they just eat all day, they just eat all the grass. And I'm like, that's cool. He's like, yeah, they do that so we don't have to pay somebody to mow the grass. I'm like, so you're taking jobs from my people. So, okay, I get it. Replacing us with goats. I see how you feel about my people. Uh, we, and I had this thought of, that's kind of how sheep are. We're, we're like that. We just, we just go wherever we eat, you know, sometimes. But when we have a shepherd, he leads us and he goes, hey, let's go. Look, I'm going to lead you by quiet waters. Look, drink here. Okay, now come eat here. You know the sheep are never worried? The sheep are never going like, oh, I don't know where we're going to eat tonight. Anyone else see some food? I don't know. You guys, you guys. Sheep are never like that. They just go where the shepherd leads them. This is God's desire for our relationship. That we would fall in love with him. And as we fall in love with him, he would lead us. And when there's stones in the way that we got to deal with, God goes, hey, let, I'll move those. You just keep loving me. I'll deal with that. You just keep loving me. You just keep letting me fill you with my love and my peace and my joy and my hope and my life. And all of those other things we'll deal with together. It doesn't mean that there won't be difficult times. But when there is, hey, we're going to walk through them together. And I think sometimes we can get so frustrated because of how we're raised or with our own mind, with what we think religion looks like or what we think God thinks of us or what we think we've got to do to be good enough for God. And we miss the point that it was never supposed to be about that. It was always supposed to be about love. I have three ways for you today that God wants to move the stones out of your life. One, we got to come to Jesus. We got to come to Jesus for who he is. Not religion, not a church, not a building. We've got to come to Jesus, the person. Oftentimes I have conversations with people and they go like this. Why does God send people to hell? Okay, if God knows everything, why does God send people to hell? How many of you have ever thought that? Why does God send people to hell? Okay, and the rest of you are liars, so that's okay. Why does God send people to hell? Can I tell you something? God doesn't send anyone to hell. God doesn't send anyone to hell. 
Hell is a place that people go to pay for their own sins because they choose not to accept the sacrifice that was made for them. Jesus came in and made a sacrifice. He paid our sin bill. I had a sin bill, okay? Y'all's sin bill probably looks like this. This is my wife's sin bill. It's small. It's like, was mean to my husband one day. Didn't do what I said I would do one day. Stole a piece of gum in sixth grade. Like, that's hers. Mine's like a CVS receipt. Like, you know, just... (laughs) Multiple CVS receipts, okay? Just all the way. Last I checked, and nobody was lining up to pay for my sin bill. Checked the other day, and nobody was back there. Nobody, anybody? They were like, nah, for sure not yours. Maybe your wife's for sure not yours. Nobody wanted to pay my sin bill. And Jesus stepped up. Maybe he does. That kid, he likes to pay my sin bill. <laughs> Jesus steps up and goes, hey, I'll pay the sin bill. It had to be paid. It had to be paid. And Jesus steps up and says, hey, I'll take his. I want to pay his sin bill. Now I have a choice. Do I allow Jesus to pay for my sin bill? Or do I go, hey, listen, I appreciate what you did, but that's just not for me. It's not my thing. And one day you will stand before God and God will go, I made provision that you never had to pay for your sin bill. That you could walk in freedom. That you could have peace. That you could, it could all be covered. And you either chose that. Or you chose, hey, I want to pay for my own sin bill. I want to do it my way. I want to do my thing. God's desire was that we would allow Jesus to pay for our sin bill so that you never had to. How many of you know God is so good to us that his desire is that you never would have to suffer one day in your whole life? It doesn't mean that hard times won't come. It doesn't mean you won't walk through valleys of darkness. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means that God made provision for you and for me. And the first thing we've got to do when Jesus rolls our stones away is just come to him and go, Jesus, hey, I let you. God is a God of free will. He will never take advantage of your free will. He's not going to come to you and go, you're going to let me do this and you're going to sit down. But that's how we feel about Jesus sometimes. Yes, sir, don't kill me, okay. I know none of y'all think that. I, just so y'all know, I really grew up thinking that. I got saved every single Sunday. And in my church, you had to walk to the front every Sunday. I walked to the front because I was like, I'm going to go to hell for sure this week if he comes back. So I'm going to just go down. They're like, it wasn't, I, I was raised, I wasn't even Catholic. I couldn't, it wasn't like you were supposed to confess, but I just did. You know what I mean? I'm like, I looked at a Sports Illustrated swimsuit and uh, I stole some stuff from my brother. They're like, that's not how this works. I'm like, am I going to go to hell? They're like, we don't think so. I'm like, all right, good. I just wanted to make sure. Like, every week, every single week, I was concerned that I was going to hell. Lay in bed at night, God, please, please don't come tonight, okay? I got some stuff I need to deal with. Please don't come tonight because I know if you come back tonight, this is it. I'm for sure going to hell. Sometimes we come to God out of that fear. Out of that, okay, God, listen, I'll come to you and I'll do what you say. Just don't send me to hell. And God's design for this thing called a relationship was never like that. Put it in a context of marriage. It'd be like me going to my wife and going, okay, okay, don't leave me. I'll do all the chores around the house. I'll wash all the dishes. I'll fold all the laundry. Okay, just don't, just don't leave me. Don't leave me today. She said, why, why would, first of all, you can do all those things. But second of all, why would you even feel like I'm going to leave you if you don't do all these things? Because she loves me. Because I love her. Because we are in a relationship together that is not based on what I can do for her or what she can do for me. It's based on who she is to me and who I am to her. Jesus' design for our relationship with him was always based on who we are. It was never based on what we can do. 
But so oftentimes we leave a service like this where we go, God, I love you. This is awesome. And then we start running through the checklist in our mind of what we need to do. And I want you to know when you get in your car today, when you go home, when you drive, wherever, that you can rest in the peace that Jesus loves you for you. And I want you to know, because you don't hear it enough, there is a purpose and a plan for your life. God created it before you were ever born. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not going to kill you on the way home if you don't do what your wife says or the preacher says. God is comfortable with your journey. He has a hope and a dream and a future for you. He's okay with the process. Oftentimes, we're not okay with the process. Oftentimes, we want to fix things. We want to get it like right now. Okay, now I'm perfect and now I can. Let me help you out. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to do it all right. I'm, listen, I'm the preacher. I don't do it all right. Okay, I argue with my wife like you argue with your wife. I get frustrated with people in traffic like you get frustrated with people in traffic. I beat my children like you beat your children, okay? Maybe not like exactly the same way, but like. We all are going to do stuff that we go, man, I, man, I dropped the ball that time. God, I missed it. And Jesus simply says, come to me and let me deal with those things in your life. Don't worry about fixing everything. Don't worry about the checklist you've made in your mind. Just come to me. We started this church because I wanted to build a place that people could experience a true relationship with Jesus that was based off of love and his genuine joy in how he made you and not in what you could do for him to be good enough but simply resting in who Jesus is. Number one, we gotta come to Jesus and accept his payment. Number two, we gotta trust in him. I love the last words that Jesus says on the cross. Jesus says, it is finished. It is finished. How many know when Jesus said it is finished? It meant it is finished. I mean, it's over. The sin bill of the world had been taken care of. It was done. There's nothing more you can do to complete it. There's nothing more you can change to make it better. There's nothing that you can achieve that's going to make him love you more. It is finished. And he, he so perfectly did it next to a thief so that he could look at the thief and go, the thief goes, hey, I believe that you are who you say you are. And this person who's being crucified for living a horrible life, Jesus looks at him and goes, you're going to be in heaven with me today. Just so that lest we ever think it's about something we could do for Jesus, he goes, the person that I sent to heaven right before me didn't do one thing for me in their whole life except believe in me. God calls us to simply trust in the finished work of Jesus. I want to remove the burden from your shoulders. Jesus says, wear my yoke because it's light. It's easy. It's comfortable. Take the burden off of you. And the lie of the enemy is to put a burden on you so that you end up going, I got to do this and I got to do this. And this Christianity thing is hard and this religion thing is hard. And I'm just so frustrating and I try and I try. And that is a lie from the enemy. God never intended it to be that way. He intended it to be freeing. He intended it to be life-giving. He intended it to be joyful. He intended it to be happy. He intended it to be fun. He intended, it, it's supposed to be like that. How many of you were at the Crawfish Bowl Friday? I looked around and I just thought, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what it's supposed to be like. It was the most 
beautiful day we could have ever asked for. The crawfish, they were like prison crawfish. They've been in the joint for like five years working out, okay? These crawfish were huge. It was more than we could have imagined. Every crawfish, I'm like, this is the biggest crawfish. No, this is the biggest crawfish. No, there was like a lady fighting a crawfish, trying to take its tail off. It was awesome. The company was amazing. I'm walking around watching people play cornhole. I'm beating everyone in cornhole. I got this little flick of the wrist. I'm like, bam, in the hole. Bam, in the hole. No one can beat me in cornhole. That's aside from the fact. We'll get back to the message. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking around going, this is exactly what it's supposed to feel like. I love that Jesus, that, that God sent two angels down to roll the stone away. Because you know what the truth of this Christian walk is? None of us can do it alone. None of us can do it alone. It's why we have small groups. It's why we have the dream team that people serve on. Because it's so much better when you do it together. Jesus, who could have done it all by himself, still chose to do life with 12 people and have the stone rolled away by two angels. And I would wager to say if Jesus needed help to roll the stone away, that we also need help in our lives to roll things away. That God designed you not to walk on this journey by yourself, but he said, listen, I'm going to put people around you. I'm going to put you in an environment with people that love you. I'm going to give you people that can help you walk through this thing called life because it's not fun alone. It was always meant to be done together. Rest in Jesus. Trust in the finality of what he's done and realize that when he said it is finished, he really meant it is finished. Some of you need to take a spiritual deep breath and just go like, it's not on me. It's not on me. You've been carrying the weight of your own salvation and I got to fix these things and do it. And Jesus goes, listen, it's not on you. I paid the price over 2,500 years ago. I was dead. I was raised from the dead so that you wouldn't have to live that way. I don't know if y'all saw the article in the, in the, in the it was on the like, front cover of Yahoo online. <laughs> Somebody sent it to me, and it was this youth pastor. And the youth pastor wanted people to know what Jesus went through for them. <laughs> and so you can look it up. He, don't, it's, 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 I'll just tell you. He's, he's standing at the front thing, and he goes, okay, I want y'all to know what Jesus went through. And so I want everyone in here to line up and come spit in my face, Okay. So one by one, these kids walk up and just spit. One kid's like, can I go again? I'm like, I'd have slapped that kid so hard. They spit in his face. And then he goes, okay, now I want everybody to come and slap me. Oh, my goodness gracious. These little kids, junior high kids, just pow. Okay. One kid goes airborne. Like hard. Like, I'm surprised they didn't knock this dude out. Then to cap it off, he pulls out a knife, rips his shirt off. I swear you can watch it. And goes, I want y'all to cut me. The kids are like, whoa, you lost us here. Okay, it's a little. They give it to one kid. The kid's like, I can't do this. This is, this is crazy. Like, and I'm standing there and I'm thinking, sometimes that's how we feel though. We want to make ourselves go through it so that we can pay the price for Jesus. When really Jesus paid the price so that we wouldn't ever have to walk through any of that. So that you wouldn't have to feel that way. So that darkness wouldn't spit in your face. So that the enemy wouldn't slap you around. 
so that sickness and disease wouldn't cut your life. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you wouldn't have to endure what he already did. Number three, yeah, it's a great place to clap. For those of you that are your first time, we're working on our clapping. We're gonna pipe some clapping music in, so like, we're gonna get there. Number three, realize you need a family. You need a family. Listen, people ask me all the time, Christian, do you have to be, it's always, it's always people like me, like hunters, that I know you're like, are you really a hunter? And there's no way, I promise I am, okay. <laughs> My wife always laughs, because when we met, like, I didn't wear anything but boot cut jeans and cowboy boots for like, for like 10 years and a t-shirt, the same t-shirt. And then one day, I don't know, I just got a little stylish, felt a little stylish and like, started dressing up. And then she was like, what is, people only saw the real you. If they saw you five years ago. So, it's always people like me, and they come to me and they go, Pastor, you got to go to church to be a Christian? I'm like, first of all, you're not a real man because you don't swallow. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, <laughs> no, you don't have to, but you get to. You get to do life with people who are doing the same journey that you're on. You get to do life with people that are excited about doing life with you. That was the great part about Friday. Me and my wife looked around and I literally could have just sobbed looking at everyone. Thinking we came here a year and a half ago not knowing if anyone would show up at all. And a couple Sundays ago we left and my son Eli said, Dad, where did these people come from? Like my friends, where did we find them? I'm like, we found them anywhere we could find them. <laughs> and I love the journey of life. And I love watching relationships being formed between people. And I love watching people do small groups. And I love seeing our people go on vacation together. And I love seeing them do play golf together. And that is the greatest joy of my life because it's the greatest joy of our father's life. His heart for us was always that we would do this thing together. It was always that we would enjoy this thing called Christianity together. Last but not least, there was a, there was a guy, um, a wealthy art collector during the Vietnam War. And he had collected, he had one of the most exquisite collections of paintings in the world. He had Monet's and he had Rembrandt's and he had Van Gogh's and he had all of it, billions of dollars worth of paintings. And he had a son. He had one son. The son gets drafted. Okay, son goes to the war, the son dies in the war, tragically. The father is so depressed that he's lost his son. He literally goes into a clinical depression. They put him in a facility and he dies. His wife had passed away. He's, and the whole time he's dying, they're going, what's going to happen to your art collection? What's going to happen to your art collection? What's going to happen to your art collection? This is billions of dollars. You've got to decide what you're going to do. So one of the last things he does is he tells the, the executor of his will, he says, listen, put it all up for auction. I don't even care. But the picture of my son's to be sold first. So they go and the, the, they start the auction. The guy dies and they go, people are there, art collectors are there from around the world to, to buy all of these exquisite paintings. And they start it and they start with, he tells them, sell the picture of my son first. So they start the thing and they go, hey, you know, we're, we're all here for this art collection. The first picture, though, by request of the man was that we would sell this picture of his son first. And so 
Hey, if, let's start the bidding. $5,000. Okay, no one. $2,000. No one. $1,000. No one. Okay, $900. No one. Again, this is just some random guy's son. They don't know. Nobody knows this guy. Finally, it gets all the way down to $25, and a, and, and a guy goes, hey, I'll, I'll buy it for $25. I'll take, I'll take the painting. They give him the painting, and then the, the man puts the gavel down, and he goes, this concludes the auction. And everyone goes, what, what are you talking about? What about all the Rembrandts? What about the Monets? What about the Van Goghs? What about? And he pulls out the man's will, and he says, according to the man's will, whoever bought the son gets it all. You get everything. All of the Monets, all of the Rembrandts, all of the Van Goghs. And can I tell you today, your heavenly father is the same way. That he goes, if you just get the son, you get peace, you get joy, you get life, you get patience, you get goodness, you get freedom, you get friendships. You get it all if you get the son. I don't want you to worry about the stones in your life today. I want you to worry about connecting with Jesus and falling in love with Jesus and knowing that if you get the Son, you get the whole package. Would you bow your head with me today? Jesus, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that over 2,500 years ago, you paid the ultimate price. You paid the sin bill, Jesus, so that we wouldn't have to. Today on Easter, Jesus, we just want you to know we're so grateful. We're so grateful for what you did. We're so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful for the finished work of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that not once have you ever let us fail. Not once have you ever left us alone. Not once did you leave us in the tomb in the dark. You were just waiting for us to rest so you could roll the stones away in our lives, so that you could take care of the issues that we so oftentimes try and take care of ourselves. Jesus, we just are so thankful. We're so thankful. Jesus, I'm so thankful. Thank you for paying for my sin so that I didn't have to. Jesus, we love you. Let us fall in love with you today, Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be some of you here today that you go, Christian, I've experienced church, I've experienced religion, but I've never experienced a relationship with Jesus like you're talking about. If I can have that thing, I want that. I want to experience that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is between you and Jesus. I just want to pray for you. If that's you and you say, Christian, that's me. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus like that today. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up real quick so I can pray for you? Amen. 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 You can put them down. Now we're going to pray. You can repeat after me. Listen, you can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. You can, you, you can whisper it. As long as you mean it, this is between you and Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, today I realize my great need for you. Jesus, I realize that you are the Son of God, that you came from heaven to earth to pay my bill. You lived a perfect life, and then you died a death I should have died so that I didn't have to. 
And then, Jesus, you rose from the dead to give me new life and freedom. Today, Lord Jesus, I choose you. I choose to fall in love with you, to begin a relationship with you, to follow after you all the days of my life. Change me. Roll the stones away in my life. And let me experience a true relationship with you. Now, God, I ask that for every person that prayed that prayer, that you would seal it in their hearts. Jesus, that you would meet them like only you can. That when they leave here, they don't think, what now? They think, I can't wait to begin a love relationship with Jesus. I pray that you would speak to them. God, I pray as they lay their head on their pillow tonight, that they would experience peace they've never known, joy they've never known, hope they've never known, comfort they've never known, that they can rest assured knowing that one day they'll stand before you and that you'll say, God, I'm so grateful that we got to do this thing called life together. I'm so grateful that we got to live a love relationship together. Jesus, I pray that you would seal it in their hearts. Pray that you would move the stones and that you would bring joy like they've never known in their hearts and minds today. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Hey, would you give a hand to those that just made the greatest decision of their lives? Amen. Amen. Hey, we're so grateful that you guys joined us today. Listen, when we um, release, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. We're going to do it 15 minutes after we release. Thank you guys so much for being here. We know there's so many great churches in the area you could be at, and it's always a risk when you come to a high school and you're like, are they going to teach me? Is he going to be, is he a teacher? What do we know? You know, we know. But we're so grateful that you chose to spend Easter with us. We're praying for you this week. We hope you have an amazing week. You don't want to miss next week where me and Alex will be teaching together, and that will be so much fun. I'm excited. She is not, but she will be by the time we get there, okay? Last night, we're sitting there. She goes, okay, we need to talk about what we're going to talk about next week. I'm like, I'm worried about tomorrow. Let's get through tomorrow first, okay? And then we can talk about next week. She's like, I'm sorry. I'm just so, I'm just so nervous. I'm just so nervous. But it's going, to be, it's going to be great. Hey, we couldn't do this without you. If you came prepared to worship with your giving today, we got three ways you can give. You can give in an offering envelope in the bucket. And also, hey, if you chose to give your life to Jesus today, start that love relationship with him. You can check that box on the card, your connection card, and put that in there. We'd love to send you some information and give you some next steps on how you can get more involved. You can give online at valleyrisechurch.com. Click the giving link. Or you can text valleyrise in the amount to 772 Nine, six. As they begin to pass those buckets, I'll tell you this. Oftentimes people go like, hey, where, how, what do we do with our giving? Where does that go? I want you all to know this, just, this makes me so happy, okay? Last week, do we have the picture of our Indian children? Look at these Indian children. I love them so much. Last week, our good friends, um, we paid for all of the food for their orphanage in India. So Valley Rice Church, you did that. You paid, and they, they said, we, our kids wanted to send you all this picture and made this banner. The, we funded all of the food for their orphanage for a whole week. And so, so many things like that that you were doing, that you're making a difference and giving to other churches in the area and in the city. And we send some of our ties to other church plants just like us. And there's two in the city that we support. And the first time we did, the pastor calls me. He goes, you are the only pastor that I know that would send a church 20 minutes down the road from you their tithes. Like most people would consider us competitors. And I said, listen, we want Valley Rise to be a generous place. We give because we get to, not because we have to. We're going to support our city. We're going to support people who are doing what we're doing. And it doesn't happen without you guys. Every single Sunday I say this, 
The Bible, will, the Bible says every man should decide in his own heart what the Lord would have us give. So we never ask you to give. You can ask our people. I never ask you to give anything. We always say, ask God, and whatever God tells you to do, that's what we want you to give. So if you would, I'm going to pray. Bow your heads with me. We'll pray for this, and then you guys can get out of here. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for each and every person here. Thank you for each and every gift and every giver. God, we're so grateful that we get to invest in your kingdom. We get to build with you, Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about building our kingdom. It's about building your kingdom, Jesus. It's about doing what you are calling us to do. And we ask, Jesus, that you would do what only you can do. You would take this. You would multiply it, God, back a hundred to them. That whatever they invest, God, a hundredfold, it would be brought back to them. That you would bless their businesses, God. You would bless their families. You would bless everything they set their hand to seeking first the kingdom of God. We love you so much. We're so thankful that we get to do life with Valley Rise Church. Bless them this Easter. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.